wonderful job. And him and his son Jonathan came to New York City. Did you like talking to Jewish people in New York City, Doug? Yes. Look, when, when I first met Doug, and before he went to New York City, he had really long hair, and now look at him. So, and he mentioned that we, I taught at Grace Chapel, and Doug, oh, Doug Warren and wife Deb attended Grace Chapel at the same time, so Warren and I tag-teamed. We taught quite a few classes there, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to... God has brought some really godly men into my life, and you're one of them, Warren. So thank you very much. Well, shalom, everybody. Oh, you could do better than that. Shalom. shalom. Great. Some of you speak Hebrew. That's good. Because that's what we're speaking in heaven. Amen? Well, you don't think we're speaking English, do you? <laughs> you probably never thought about that. <laughs> well, my name is Mitch Foreman. I now serve the Lord, but growing up in a Jewish home in Peabody, Massachusetts, I had no idea that you could be Jewish and believe in Jesus. I only knew of one Jewish guy that did that. His name was Robert Zimmerman. Anybody hear of Robert Zimmerman? Who is he? Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan started a thing about Jesus, and the Jewish community freaked out. Because we don't have a lot of superstars, and he was one of them. And then, oi, he became one of you guys. <laughs> and he got kind of thrown out of the community because they just couldn't understand. When I was being raised in a Jewish home, um, I knew that there was pretty much two types of people in the world. You're either Jewish or Catholic. Okay? I never met an evangelical Christian until that girl shared the gospel with me. I thought all Gentiles were Catholic. I was raised Jewish, and I knew that there were some differences. But the biggest difference is, you know, my friends would say, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And I go, I know that. But he converted and became Catholic. <laughs> and, and so growing up, and it's still very prevalent today, that the Jewish community kind of believes that Jesus is the Messiah for Gentiles. It's okay for Gentiles to believe in Jesus, but not Jewish people. And I'll explain later the two biggest barriers. But if I ask you today what type of Messiah were the Jewish people looking for at the time of Jesus, what would you tell me? A conquering king, and they got this suffering carpenter. So we're going to show you through this evening a little bit more about him. I am very happy to be here in Springfield, Massachusetts, and at Sovereign Grace Church. Thank you for hosting me. And I want to accomplish three things tonight. One, I want you to get to know my family a little bit better. So when I present this Messiah in the Passover, I do it through the lens of my grandfather and grandmother because as a little kid, that's who I learned all of this from. So I bring them in. My grandfather actually was born in Kiev. And it wasn't the first time that that part of the world has seen trouble. Anybody here ever see Fiddler on the Roof? Well, that's my family on both sides. You know, in the early 1900s, the Cossacks came in and just basically told everybody in Ukraine and that part of the world, you, you know, you're out. You got to leave. A lot of people got killed. A lot of people were forced to convert. Millions came to this country. I'm forever grateful to the United States. Why? Because both sides of my family came here, and if America didn't open up their arms to my family and a lot of Jewish family, think of how many more Jewish people might have died in the Holocaust. You know, so I believe that God used the United States to harbor Jewish people so that we would be, you know, protected. And I'm part of that because I probably wouldn't be standing here with you this evening if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that. So... You know, if you think about it, I'm actually a foreign missionary. Because you know where my home, home country is? It's Israel. So I'm a foreign, so now, yeah, you've met a foreign missionary here in the United States, you know? It's pretty cool. So 
tonight, as I said, I want to introduce you to my family because that's where I learned all of my traditions from and it gets handed down from generation to generation to generation. I also want to introduce you to some of the rabbinic traditions because they added quite a bit to the Passover Seder that many Jewish people do today and it'll be kind of amazing for you to be introduced to some of these and you can even see that Jesus used some of those to talk about himself. So I want you to get a better understanding of how the rabbis kind of enhanced the telling of the Passover story. And then finally, um, we're going to see it at the end through the eyes of our Messiah. Because he did something so unique that we still talk about it 2,000 years later. So I always say, come and enter the home with me. And my grandfather <clears throat> was Orthodox. So when he would do the Passover, he would wear special clothes. And Orthodox Jewish men have one of these cloaks. It's called a kittle. And they wear it during different times of the year. But prominently, they'll wear it on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because white symbolizes purity. And they also wear it on Passover. And my grandfather would put it on. And you know, Jewish men will often cover their heads. Anybody know what we call? Most people say yarmulke or kippah. Kippah means covering. Nothing special about it other than the fact that it covers your head. Normally, Orthodox Jews wear one all the time on the night of Passover. I'm sorry? Who? Well, they dress, but not on Passover. Yeah. So on the night of Passover, a lot of Orthodox Jews will wear a keeper, but on the night of Passover, my grandfather would wear a special one. It's called a mitre. Why? Because on the night of Passover, the Jewish head of his home is king of his home. Now, guys, isn't that nice one time a year? <laughs> we get to be king of the home. And as a king, he's going to lead us through the Passover Seder. Can you say Seder? Very good. Because that's what we're calling tonight. It's a Seder. Actually, it's a Passover Seder, but we never say Passover because the only time we have a Seder is during Passover. And it's tradition that we go through an order of service. Found This is a Messianic version called the Haggadah. Can you say Haggadah? Very good. It means the telling, and we tell the story in the same way year after year after year. And tonight you'll hear it from both sides. You're going to hear the traditions of the Jewish side, but I'm going to bring in the Messianic side as well. Why? Because that's who I am. I'm a Messianic Jew. I was raised Jewish, and then I became a believer in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, and now I look at it from a much different standpoint, and so do you. Because the reality is, is that Jesus came to be not just the Jewish Messiah for the Jews, he came to be the Jewish Messiah for the world. And that's what we're going to see tonight, the story of redemption. Now, it's tradition that the Jewish uh, holidays start with the lighting of candles. And my grandmother would come forward and light the candles. And this is what it would sound like if you heard her. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to celebrate the Passover. And I think it's very fitting that a woman shall kindle the lights because it reminds me 
that the Messiah, the light of the world, would come in through the seed of a woman. Genesis 3.15. And then later on in Genesis 7.14, it says, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, a fulfillment of the first messianic prophecy in the garden. Amazing that God foretold that the Messiah would enter the world through the seed of a woman, and it happened. And so when he came in, he was a glory to thy people Israel, but a light to the nations. My grandmother sits down. My grandfather now comes forward, and he um, explains that tonight we're going to drink four cups of wine. I've laid out four different cups for you because we give a name to each one of the cups of wine because in the scriptures, in Exodus 6, 6, and 7, the rabbis want us to look at redemption from four different perspectives. So the first cup is called the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification, because the Lord says, I'll bring you out from Egypt. The second cup is called the cup of judgment, or call it the cup of plagues, because God bestowed the plagues upon the Egyptians. And the scripture says, I will rid you out of bondage. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. will be the focal point of this evening because I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And the last cup is called the cup of praise, or in Hebrew, Hallel, because the Lord says, I will take you. So the four cups represent different means of how God will save us. He'll bring us out, he'll rid us, he'll redeem us, and he'll take us. And tonight, I'm going to show you the different sides of the redemption of Yeshua. Can you say Yeshua? Very good, because Yeshua is his Hebrew name. That's what his family would have called him. I'm going to show you different sides. We're all familiar with the fact that Yeshua came to die for our sins, but he did a little bit more on this night of Passover, and I want you to kind of see his redemption from different angles as well. Okay? And I'm going to teach you some of the traditions tonight, if it's okay. So my grandfather would start off by drinking the first cup of wine. So if you would hold up your cup of wine and repeat after me, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melechalom, Borei Pariha Gahafin, Amen. Yeah, you got that word down, huh? <laughs> but I guess the Hebrew can be a little tricky, but that's okay. We're going to do this four times, and you'll get it, okay? Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the um, fruit of the vine. And now we drink. And now the rest of the evening is sanctified, set apart for the telling of the Passover story. And my grandfather would explain that on the first night, that Passover on the 14th of Nisan, the Jewish people were instructed to take a spotless lamb roasted whole and then take the blood and put it to the doorpost of their homes, first to the top and then to the two sides, and go inside and wait. And when the Lord came and saw the blood, what did the Lord do? He passed over, and in Hebrew we say Pesach. Can you say Pesach? Can you say that one more time? Okay, great. I just like to see you spit. <laughs> Pesach. It's not only the name of the holiday, it's the name of the lamb that saves them. The Passover lamb. Why? Because the Lord needed to show the Jewish people something so later on that they would really figure it out. But he said, before you're redeemed, he could have just redeemed them, right? He said, take a lamb, spotless lamb, and take the blood and put your faith in the blood of a lamb. That's God's. That's not man. That is what God instructed my people to do. Put your faith in the blood of a lamb. They're going to save you so that the firstborn would not die. And that's going to be very important later on, as we'll see. This point, my grandfather would say a blessing, and he would wash his hands. And we believe that Yeshua, at this point of the Passover, not only washed his hands, anybody know what else he probably did at this time? 
Yeah, he washed the feet of the disciples, you know? And isn't that amazing? That he knows what's going to happen. Nobody else at the table did. And just imagine, um, you know, anybody here ever been to a foot washing before? I have. It can be very humbling. You know why? Because I went to one where the pastor didn't announce that they were doing it. And we were doing a Passover Seder, and he opens up right in the middle of where I was speaking. He had warned me before. They opened up the curtains, and there's a side for women, side for men. And I got to tell you, people don't like other people looking at their feet, never mind touching them. <laughs> people are very, very insecure about their feet, you know? So you can just imagine that our Messiah knelt down and washed the feet, and these feet, dirty, sandy, hard, because, you know, they, they didn't have beautiful shoes like we did, and yet that's the Messiah that we serve. Amen? Amen. Now, during the service, <clears throat> the scripture says, when your children ask what this night means, you were to tell them. Well, we're not always sure the children might ask those questions, so we built them right into the service. And we give it a really cool name. You ready? We call them the four questions. <laughs> and actually, it is pretty cool. You know why? Because if you're a little kid, one of the first times you learn Jewish prayers is during the Passover. And it's a rite of passage that when you're the youngest, you say the four questions. And I remember learning him as a little kid, and now I get to teach my son. I'll give you a little taste of what it sounds like. So it starts off this way. Why is this night different from all other nights? Why in this night do we eat only unleavened bread, matzah? Second question. Why in this night do we eat bitter herbs? I'm sorry. Why in this night do we not dip but once, but twice, where in all other nights we don't even dip once? And, oh, sorry, my, my microphone is getting cut. I'll try to open it up a little bit. I got a better idea. Why in this night do we recline? So my grandfather would start off with the last one. Why on this night do we recline? In some Jewish homes, we bring pillows. We accentuate the fact that the Passover is about freedom. So only the free can recline and relax. So if you're free tonight, Sit back in your chair and recline and relax. You get to recline. And you notice in the scriptures it said Jesus reclined. It's a very Jewish thing to do. Now, the first Passover was different. They came with their loins girded, dabs in their hands, sandals on their feet, ready to go at a moment's notice. But today we recline and relax. Okay? The second question. Why in this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Matzah. Can you say matzah? Matzah. Very good. My grandfather, at this point of the service, would pick up this pouch. Pretty interesting pouch. It has three layers of unleavened bread, each separated by some cloth, and he pulls out the middle piece. He lays the other two down. He recites a blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He breaks it, and he gives the bigger 
Pat, a very special name. Can you say Atikomen? Very good. It actually means later. It's Greek. It's not even Hebrew. And the reason why it's called later, or actually dessert, is we're not going to eat it yet. We're going to wrap it up, and then we're going to hide it. So I need everybody to shut their eyes for a second. Nobody should be open. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Nobody knows where it's hidden. Later, the kids must find it or the service can't be complete. And then my grandfather would explain, anybody know why the, leaven, uh, the bread is flat? No leaven, why? Because in haste, they had no time for the dough to rise. Exactly. And then my grandfather would take a piece, and we already recited the blessing, and he would eat. I'm having a little trouble with my... Okay. So, in the Bible... It only instructs the Jewish people to do really three things at Passover. Take a lamb, roast it, and eat it. Eat unleavened bread, eat bitter herbs. Everything else we're doing tonight all been added by the rabbis to enhance the telling of the story. Okay? Now, why in this night do we eat bitter herbs? Maror. Can you guys say maror? Maror. Very good. And... At this point, during my presentation, we kind of spread out the eating of all these elements that I put out here, and it's usually on this plate called a Seder plate. This is a nice one. I kind of put them all together to make it easy for you to kind of walk through the food item with me. But I need some help because I'm not that smart, so where's Mia? Mia, I asked Mia if she would come up and help me. All right. And Mia, you're going to stand right over here. How old are you, Mia? 13. I, I was told you're real brave. Uh-huh. Well, we'll find out, okay? So, the first thing that we do is we, we look at an item called coppice. Can you say coppice? Well, it's okay. It's not going to bite. <laughs> okay. Can you, you guys say coppice? Very good. And Mia, put it in here. It represents life, a new life. Because in the springtime when we celebrate Passover, the grass starts coming up again, right? Everything starts turning green, a new life. The rabbis also say it represents the new life that the Jewish people got when they fled Egypt. But before we partake, we dip it in salt water. Why salt water? What would salt water remind us of? Tears, that's right. Because the rabbis say that even though we have new life, it's always, always surrounded by tears. Our life isn't perfect even though we're redeemed, so they want us to remember that. So, Mia, can you just dip it in there for a little bit? Okay, good. Take it out and put your hand underneath. And then I'll say the blessing. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlom. Adamah. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who commands us to now eat the, um, um, the herb. So, Mia, you get to eat it. How's that? That's okay? No, no, not really, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> and the reason why we dip it in salt water, Mia, so, you know, when... I, I don't know you, and I don't know where your walk is with God or whatever, but I want you to remember something, that, you know, life kind of has its up and downs. And you'll shed a few tears. You're 13? Oh, yes, my, my teenage girl shed a lot of tears. And you know what I told them? What? I said, we don't cry over homework. <laughs> okay? So, so I want you to remember something, though, Mia. Okay? As you walk through life, you're going to cry a little bit, hopefully not over homework. And just know that God is there with you, okay? That even though it might not seem that great, 
God is always there. Amen? Amen. All righty. The next item we're going to look at, Mia, can you say charoset? Yeah, a little ch, go ch. You can go, it's okay. Roset. Now put them together. All right. Now, Mia, this actually is pretty good. It's a mixture of, are you allergic to nuts? Okay, good. So why don't you hold that? And that's a mixture of apples, nuts, dates, honey. We mash it up. And it actually represents the bricks and the mortar that my ancestors used to build the bricks of Pharaoh. And you might be wondering, why a sweet mixture to represent slavery? And the rabbis tell us that there's always hope when you're a Jew. Anybody remember how many years God told Abraham his ancestors would be in Egypt? And at the time that Moses shows up, it's getting around that time, correct? So they were waiting for a redeemer. So the rabbis tell us that even life as a slave, always, always sweetened with the promise of redemption, okay? So now, there's no prayer for this one, so now we eat. So go ahead. Not too bad, right? It's sweet, and I want you to remember something, okay? The idea with this one is, as we make this personal, the rabbis tell us that every Jewish soul, whether you were born yet or not, was present at Mount Sinai during, I mean, uh, was present on that first Passover, and was supposed to take the story very personally as though each one went through it all by himself. And so I want you to take the story personally to Mia. The mixture represents the gospel. Are we born as slaves? Can you save yourself? Do we need help from a redeemer? Isn't it great that we have the gospel message? Because if you have another message, it's not too sweet. I love the fact that we get to share the gospel at any time, any place, to whoever we want. It's the sweetest, greatest message in the world. And I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with people who were dying. And I love the fact that I can go to somebody even on their deathbed and say, God loves you so much that even here, because it's not what you can do, it's what God did for you. And so that gospel message, Mia, will always be sweet when you share it. Amen? Okay. The next one, smell that. That's good, huh? Mm -hmm. This is called maror. Can you say maror? Mm -hmm. It's the bitter root itself. It's freshly ground horseradish. And we're to eat about a tablespoon full of horseradish. <laughs> now, do you know what happens when you eat this much horseradish? No. You die. <laughs> <laughs> No, you cry, okay? But I'm not, I'm not going to be mean. No, you're not going to eat that much. I did that once, me, and you know what happened? The girl ended up being the daughter of the pastor, and I was never invited back to that church. You can make little boys cry. You can't make girls cry. But I'll tell you what. I'll give you a taste. It'll be good. But don't eat it yet. Let me say the prayer. Baruch Adonai Elohim Elohim. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and commands us concerning the eating of the bitter herb. So go ahead. That's okay? Okay, you're not going to cry for us? Okay, good. But can we give me a big hand? Thank you. What I always kind of like to eat the horseradish, too. Actually, I usually make the pastor eat about a tablespoon. Anybody want to see him do that? Yeah. But I'll tell you why, why I like to do it. What 
isn't on my bio is I was working at one of the most, no, 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 you don't have, moment, I'm just teasing. I want to I wanna come back and preach next year, okay? It's one thing to make the daughter of the pastor cry. You make the pastor cry, uh-oh, big trouble. But I was 28 years old. I was working literally in the most creative kitchen in the world. We were changing the way that people cooked and ate in the United States out in San Francisco. And I got fired. And my life just went down a cesspool. I started drinking more, doing more drugs. I could not stop because as a man, um, you know, what you do is very much who you are. And one night I came home uh, very, very drunk, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I had gotten a new job. I was just working at a deli to make ends meet. And I came home, and I was just wasted. And I just looked around, and I can still remember that night, even though that I was not in any mood to remember. But I did, and I said, Lord, I don't know what I have to do. I just need you in my life. That's all he said. As a Jew, I never ventured into other religions. I, I didn't have a personal relationship with God, but I just felt that I needed him in my life. And the next day, I threw away my cigarettes, stopped drinking. Two weeks later, this Christian girl comes into my life, and she's the first evangelical born-again Christian I ever met, and she started sharing the gospel with me. So I always remember that night. Why? Because when I cried out to the Lord, he heard me. Boom. I take the horseradish. And moment, it's really cool to eat and preach at the same time, you know? <laughs> so I want you to remember, you know, we all have our own story, correct? And if you look how God orchestrates stuff tonight, I want you to taste your own horseradish and think about where you were when you cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm a slave to sin and I can't help myself and I need Jesus to save me from my sins. Think about where you were. It's a good time to do that on Passover. Amen? Amen. Next item is called Hagiga. Can you say Hagiga? Very good. Hagiga does not mean egg in Hebrew, it's actually the name of a very special temple sacrifice. And what we do is we roast the egg brown, we, and this is hard boiled, right Doug? <laughs> we, wow, they grow tough chickens out here, huh? And we crack it open, and we take a piece of the egg, and we dip it in salt water, which reminds us of what? Tears very good, because we remember and mourn and grieve over the idea that we no longer make sacrifices in Judaism. Does anybody know why we don't make sacrifices in Judaism anymore? Anybody know? No temple, that's right. No temple, no altar. No sacrifices, and does anybody other than Warren and people in my Bible study know when the temple was destroyed? The first time. The first time. 586, 87, there's always some convergent, but then in 70 AD. And you know what the Romans did? They waited for the exact date that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it the first time. And in Judaism, we call it Tishba'av, the ninth of Av. The Romans, to show their power, said, we're going to wait for the exact day that Nebuchadnezzar did it, and we're going to do it again. And so that's when it was destroyed the second time. Does anybody know the date that it was rebuilt? The second temple, when was it rebuilt? Anybody know? It's a trick question. <laughs> it hasn't been, all right. And 
In the Passover, Jewish people mourn and grieve over the fact that the temple is no longer around. And you know what we do? We pray for the rebuilt temple. Why? Because if the temple is rebuilt, you know who does it in Judaism? The Messiah. So the Passover becomes forward-looking. Not only do we look back, but today in Judaism, because this was not a tradition that Jesus did because the temple was up and standing. But today, we not only mourn and grieve over the destruction of the temple, we look forward to that one day it'll be rebuilt when the Messiah comes. And the last thing on the table is called Zoroah. It's the shank bone of the lamb because since we don't sacrifice anymore, you know what Jewish people don't do at the Passover table? They don't eat lamb because the lambs that they ate was sacrificed in the temple. So we just look at it in some Orthodox homes, you're not even allowed to touch it during the evening to just remind ourselves that one day in the future, God will set everything right. So that raises a good question. You know, how without a temple, without an altar, without sacrifices, how do Jewish people atone for their sins? It's a good question because you know how Jewish people atoned for their sins on the Day of Atonement? They would put all their sins on one scapegoat, and that scapegoat would carry all the sins of the Jewish people. So the sacrificial system was vital into understanding how God would take away sin. 70 AD, the temple's destroyed, so Judaism changed. I grew up with the rabbis telling us in Hebrew school that God has a scale. And you try to do good deeds in Hebrew called mitzvot. Can you say mitzvot? Mitzvot. That means doing a good commandment. Okay? Anybody know how many commandments there are in the first five books of Moses? 613. There's a lot. And the rabbis try to tell us, try to do more good than bad. And that sounds good. And listen, that's not just a Jewish thing. That's a world thing, right? That's a man-made thing. Man thinks, hey, I can kind of do this myself. And that's kind of how Jewish people think even today. But there's a problem with that system. It's not like the gospel. Because how many good deeds do you have to do to, to be saved? You know, that's right. None. You can't do enough. Nobody knows how many you have to do. So it's an incomplete system because you never know and you're always hoping that, and I've talked to a lot of people on the streets and a lot of people say, well, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I've done enough. Well, that's a pretty big hope <laughs> to determine your eternal life. So pray for my people. My people see all of this every year and yet... They can't understand how God saved them. How God used the lamb, right? Put your faith in the blood of a lamb. And it shouldn't surprise anybody that Yeshua <laughs> died at Passover because we put our faith in the blood of the lamb. That it's a perfect fit. God gave us the lambs until we had the lamb. Amen? Well, Isaiah 53, and we can talk about it later, is a scripture that's very much looking at the suffering Messiah in, in the Bible, and that's a chapter that's very controversial. I have a book on my table that goes a lot more into detail, so you're very happy to come and talk to me afterwards, okay? So now in Judaism, we've drunk the first cup of wine, we've eaten most of the foods, now we have to drink the second cup of wine called the cup of judgment or the cup of plagues. Now, in the Jewish home, in the Orthodox world, we drink the wine and then we refill it always right to the top. And you know why we fill the wine right to the top? Doug, you know why we fill it right to the top? We like wine. And in Judaism, a full cup represents complete joy. So all of these looks at redemption, we're joyful, we're redeemed. 
The second cup, the rabbis say, we've been redeemed, but lives were lost through the plagues. So we're going to mourn and grieve over the destruction of the Egyptians through the plagues. So the rabbis say, take some of the wine out. And we have a very unique way of doing it. So I want you to take your cup in your left hand, and you take your pinky, and what we do is we go through the plagues, and as we go through the plagues, we take a drop out as a way of mourning and grieving. And they're repeated and chanted, so we'll do them in English. They're usually done in Hebrew so that you can understand what they are. So repeat after me. You ready? Blood, frogs, vermin, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, Locusts, darkness, slaying of the firstborn. Now, now we get to say the blessing over the wine. Repeat after me again. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melakalom, Borei, Peri, Hagahafin. Amen. And now we drink. Now the second cup of wine is very important because in the scriptures it says that God cast judgment against the gods of Egypt. So the plagues aren't arbitrary. They worship the Nile, and what does God do to the Nile? Turns them to blood. They worship the sun. Turns it dark. You know who the last god that God dealt with? Pharaoh. Pharaoh was considered himself to be God. And when he died, you know who the next Pharaoh would be? The firstborn. So the judgment is against Pharaoh. Because if you're God, should you be able to stop another God from coming and killing your firstborn son? You should. That's a good test, right? And if you can't do that, if your son dies, if you're God, should you be able to raise somebody from the dead? I think that that's a fair test. And how many people here have watched the Ten Commandments? We all have, right? And um, Yul Brenner <laughs> playing Pharaoh, holding his firstborn son who died because he didn't have the blood of the lamb. And his wife is on the side saying, not even the great Pharaoh can raise his son from the dead. Very telling. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus died on Passover as our Passover lamb. I also don't think it's a coincidence that he died on the anniversary that we remember the death of the firstborn. Kind of God gave himself kind of a same test. His son died. And you know what's amazing? <laughs> Three days later he rose from the dead so that everyone can come to now believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can raise from the dead. He's the the, the Lord that we should worship. Amen? So again, you think that's a coincidence or just God put this all together so that we can see Jesus' redemption from different sides too. He's Passover lamb, but he's also, the, as Paul says, the first one who died and came back to life. Why is that important for us? Because if he was resurrected, you know, we get to be resurrected with him. Amen? Amen. Now, in the Jewish home, what we do is we remove everything and we actually eat. Okay? We've eaten matzah. We've eaten the maror. We can't eat lamb because there's no temple sacrifices. Jesus would have eaten the lamb. Okay? Because Jesus had the temple up and, and, um, up and running. So his last supper was actually a lamb. Okay, and that would be the last thing that he would eat. But what I'd like to do is just, um, we've gone through two cups of wine. How many cups of wine left do we have to drink? Two more. But let me just take a little bit of a break. I've given you a lot of information. We've drunk two cups of wine. Let me just give you a little break. Let me tell you a little bit about our ministry. As Doug said, we're the oldest Jewish ministry, and we've uh, been going... Really, our 
our ministry, you probably didn't know this, Doug. Our ministry actually started about 33 AD with, you might have heard of our founders, Stephen and Paul and Peter, the first Jews for Jesus people. <laughs> so I always joke, they're the, they're the founders of our movement. And at the beginning, it wasn't how, what, we, what are we going to do with Jewish people who come to faith? They went, oi, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? They weren't thinking that the Jewish Messiah was coming for Gentiles, but he was. But modern day, we're uh, a ministry that started in 1894 because Leopold Cohn came looking for the Messiah from Romania to, to New York City, and he found him. And he established our ministry. And so I stand on the shoulders of some great missionaries, both men and women, who have been doing this for 128 years. And modern day, we have expanded mightily. We have 26, 27 branches in the United States. I'm the VP, so I oversee all of the ministry that we do in, in the United States. We have 90 missionaries. We have now 80 volunteers, and a lot of them serve in places like Doug. You know what? I love having Doug in this part of Massachusetts. You know why? Because I don't get here too much. So Doug is kind of the eyes and ears of chosen people. And we've been able to, um, to minister somewhat, and we're going to do more and more over the years so that we can reach the Jewish people in this community. And I know there's Jewish people here. Um, you're, you know, um, uh, in Longmeadow, or East Longmeadow, you got, you got a very, not big, but very strong Jewish community there. You have an area that, um, you know, has some synagogues. And it was interesting, we, <laughs> at Chosen People, got pulled into something a couple of years ago. You know that guy that kind of made a Molotov cocktail and threw it uh, against the Jewish Community Center in Longmeadow a couple of years ago? Did you read about that? Well, his mother, I think, was a believer. And... He went to church with her, and he took one of our tracks from the table of the church, and that's what he used to make, you know, to light his bomb, which, thank God, never went off. But we got caught by the police because they wanted to know if we had any association with this guy, but we didn't. It just happened to be a fluke that he took one of our, the tracks from the table, you know, from his mother. But listen, there's anti-Semitism all over the world. Why? People like blaming the Jews for everything. You know, why? Because the evil one wants to blame the Jews for everything so that you can get your attention off of their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we do a lot of ministry. We do a lot of online ministry, but we do some street ministry. We also uh, have Bible studies, and we have places that people like uh, second-generation kids can go to camp and the majority of what we really want to do is reach out to the Jewish people. Um, you talked about Isaiah 53. Many Jewish people don't even know about Isaiah 53. Never mind, read it. So we own Isaiah53.com. And we give out a free book called Isaiah 53 Explained, and it's given out hundreds of thousands of those books over the years. Now, I wish I could say they were all Jewish. No, it's in there. Oh, yeah. Isaiah 53 is a very profound piece of scripture that Jewish people often don't read. So we want them to read, so we try to attract people to that website. And like I said, we've given out, wow, hundreds of thousands of this book for free. Now, maybe 10% are Jewish. You know who likes coming to Isaiah 53 to get a free book? A lot of Christians. But I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I always pray that they'll take the book, read it, and then they'll give it to their Jewish friend. Because they might give it to somebody that I can't reach. And that's kind of my prayer. So I just want to thank you for allowing me to come. I want you to know more about the Jewish people and how they see redemption. I want you to know more about what you believe about your own faith. Um, I brought some books with me. So... One of the books that explains what I'm doing tonight is called The Gospel and the Passover. 
So um, if you come back to my book table, I do have a couple of books about Isaiah 53 as well. Um, you can just pick these up. I also have a gift for you. I would like for you to pray for me. So if you sign up to get my monthly prayer letter, I'll give you a free book called How to Introduce Your Jewish Friends to the Messiah. There's a lot of barriers and things that you have to deal with. So if you just uh, sign up, I'll give you one of these. And later, at the end, we'll take a free will offering at the end of the presentation. And if you want to just give a check, you can write a check to chosen people. If you give cash, um, you can put that in there. And if you have, uh, oh, can you put my slide up there? Yeah. If you click on the, the QR code, that'll take you to my page at chosen people. And you can just click on that and give online through a credit card or debit card. So that's my wife. My three kids, my daughter is a junior at Gordon College, going to be a physician's assistant. My middle one, Alana, gonna, she's a few years younger in this picture. She's graduating high school. And she came to me and goes, Dad, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life at 18 years old. So what do I tell her? I'm going to kick you out of the house in four years. You better f find out real fast. No, but you can be praying for her. She's starting to get accepted into the different schools. And then Josh, my youngest one, is getting to the age where we're going to teach him Hebrew so he can have his bar mitzvah. So I want to thank you for allowing me to just share a little bit about what we do. Um, we have had a big blessing over COVID because during COVID, we have some of the best and most faithful donors in the world and they just gave above and beyond. Above and beyond so much that we actually saved some of that money because we didn't know what to do with it because we were kind of not doing a whole ton of ministry. And then a couple of months ago, a building came up for sale in Tel Aviv. And we've been looking. And not everybody wants to sell to Messianic groups in Tel Aviv. So the beauty is, is that the Jewish person who built the building... It's a 30-story condo building, but there's two business condos, and we bought one. So we're renovating now, and we're going to have a coffee shop, we're going to have meeting rooms, and we're going to have a sanctuary that will have uh, fellowship for about 150 people. So we like buying things at Chosen People, and the reason why, one, we have the money. Two, we don't like to have debt, and we have no debt. Three... In the Jewish world, when you buy, it means that you're not leaving. So when we buy something, it's very important because we want the Jewish community to see us as part of the community because oftentimes we get kicked out. So be praying for us. And again, please come to my book table afterwards and sign up and be praying for me and my ministry. All right. So now... Jesus would have gotten done eating his lamb. My family would have gotten done eating our food. My grandfather would call us back because we have to now finish up the Seder and we have to drink the third cup of wine. Anybody remember what we call this cup? It's called the cup of redemption. Okay. Now, in the, in the Jewish home, before we drink the cup, we have to find something. Remember we hid something? Anybody remember what we call that? The Afikomen, that's right. And all the kids will hunt and search for the Afikomen. One will find it. And we have a little tradition in the Jewish world is your father or grandfather, who's the head of the household, actually has to buy it from the kid. You have to purchase it, you know? And my grandfather would give me 10 bucks, and I got what I wanted, and he got what he wanted. See, we, we learned the theories of economics very early in the Jewish family. And my grandfather would unfold the afikomen, and now you know why it's called dessert, because it's going to be the last thing that we eat at the table. And he breaks off a small piece, and he hands it to each person at the table, 
and we take this together with the cup of redemption. Now, does this look familiar to you, anybody? It should because it's the origin of the communion. But before we drink the cup, let me explain the bread because the bread that Jesus took actually represented the lambs as well. The bread is unleavened. Leaven represents sin. Those lambs were unleavened. They were sinless. The lambs were striped for our well-being, and they were sacrificed so that we could have new, you know, freedom. And Jesus picked up the bread, and he said, this which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. So what he was doing is transferring the imagery from lambs to the lamb. And it was all set up for him. Is Jesus unleavened, sinless? Yes. Was he striped for our well-being in Isaiah 53? Yes. Was he pierced through for our transgression? He is the bread. But not only do I see Jesus in the bread, but remember where we got the bread from? It's an interesting tradition. How many layers of bread are in here? But I didn't show you all three. I pulled out the middle piece, right? I broke it. I wrapped it up. I buried it, and then I brought it back. Does that sound like a story you might know? So why do Jewish people do this? Every Jewish home does this tradition. We have a bag, three bags of matzah. We pull out the middle piece, we break it, we hide it, and then we bring it back. And in my grandfather's Haggadah at home, it says something very interesting about this tradition. It says Afikomen is Greek, and the only time Jews spoke Greek was at the time of Jesus. Literally says it in the Haggadah because it places it at a time where people can kind of figure it out. So they don't know why we do it. They just know that it originated when Jews spoke Greek in first century Judaism. Well, you know what? I know some Jews that spoke Greek at the time of Jesus, and you do too. <laughs> They're called the disciples. And I told you at the beginning that Jewish people struggle with who Jesus is and what he did. And those are the two biggest barriers that you have to overcome when you're talking to Jews, uh, Jewish people about Jesus. That's why I want you to sign up and get this book, because it goes through some of this. But if you brought it down to two, Jewish people were looking for a King David type. You know who they got? The Son of God who died for their sins. Completely, completely foreign to what they were looking for. Back then and even today, you asked an average Jewish person what type of Messiah you're waiting for today. You know what they would say? The same thing that they did 2,000 years ago. We want King David to defeat our enemies. But the reality is, is that he is coming to defeat our enemies, but he had to do something first. So I believe the disciples came up with this kind of little tradition so that every Jewish person would know about who Jesus is. Okay? You know who I think the three matzahs represent? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And the Word became flesh. He was broken for our transgression, buried with sinners, came back to life. You want to share the gospel with a Jewish person? Here's what you do. You want to just plant a seed? If you know a Jewish person, here's all you have to do. Okay? Just say, man, I was told that bag with the three matzahs that you take out and hide and bring back, that's Jesus. That's all you have to say. And you know what? Then they might watch it during the Seder and that might put the, the first seed in their life. Because again, a lot of times Jewish people see Jesus as not Jewish, but the reality is he's very Jewish. So, that's the bread. And then after supper, in the scriptures it says after dinner. Well, it wasn't just a regular dinner. He ate the lamb. And he took the cup after dinner and he said something very interesting. He said, this cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Okay? Anybody know what the Hebrew word for covenant is? It's Brit. 
actually means to cut and draw blood. When we circumcise little babies, eight-day bris, cut, draw blood. When God makes a sacrifice with the Jewish people, or I mean a covenant with the Jewish people, you know what he does? He cuts an animal, draws blood. So Jesus said this. He said, yes, I came to die for your sins. Yes, I came as the firstborn. But I also came to be a covenant maker. When he died, he did something that was very helpful for our view if you're not Jewish. See, the Passover was always about the Jewish people. But he said, I'm bringing in a new covenant that won't be like the old covenant, the, ones that, the one that you broke, but the new covenant is where both Jew and Gentile can come to the table. Isn't that amazing? That he did all of this for you. He invited you to come to the table. But you know what's amazing too? Wasn't the first time we saw that because in the scriptures has an interesting verse. It says, when the Jewish people left. Anybody know how many Jewish people left Egypt? It says about 600,000 men of the age of fighting. And there was about four people per family. So about two, two and a half million Jewish people. And then it says a mixed multitude. And we're not quite sure who they are. I believe that they were Egyptians that saw what was going on and decided to leave with the Jews and attach themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the story had always had an opening for Gentiles. Now Jesus makes it abundantly clear. So what Jesus said is, you were in the blood and the body of those lambs saved you until he came and he said, my body, my blood. Amen? Oh, and then we, we, we get a drink. So lift up your cup and repeat after me. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melechalom, Borei Peri Hagahafin. You guys need to work on it a little bit, but that's okay. Amen. My son Josh goes to public school, and we were talking the other day because he says Amin, more of a Hebrew way. So when he goes to school and has his lunch, he prays quietly by himself. But he always says Amin at the end. And he says that he has some friends that will say amen after he says amen. You know? So isn't that cool that he's starting his own walk with the Lord and very quietly people know that he's, he's walking with the Lord. And then the last cup is called the cup of Hallel because God says when you're redeemed, I will take you as my own. You all know a very cool Hebrew word. You ready? Hallelujah. Can you... Hallelujah. You know what we say when we're saved? Hallelujah. Say it again. Hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. And I love the fact that every church in the world says hallelujah. I don't care if you're in China, Ukraine, Iceland, it doesn't matter. Everybody says hallelujah. I love that. You know why? Because God says when you're redeemed and I take you as my own, you get to say praise the Lord in Hebrew. Because there's only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we say uh, the last prayer. And one more time. Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melechalom. Borei periha gahafin. Amen. And that's the Passover Seder, except for one last tradition. We have, on many homes, a whole place setting in a cup. And anybody know who this cup of wine is for? That's right, it's the cup of Elijah. So, Doug, how did Elijah sneak into the Passover? <laughs> well, Elijah came way after the first Passover. But I told you, not only do we look past and not only do we see what's going on today, we look to the future. 
Anybody know what the last prophecy in the Jewish scriptures and our scriptures in the Old Testament? You know what the last prophecy is? Oh, did we study that last night? Yeah, we did. Ah, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Malachi says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. So we sing a song called Eliyahu Hanavi, come. Because if Elijah comes, if you're Jewish, you know what he's coming to do? Announce the Messiah who will rebuild the temple and now establish the Davidic theocracy so that Jewish people can be safe. However, I think Elijah's coming back, but I think he's announcing the second coming of the Messiah. That when Jesus comes back, he's coming back not just for Jewish people, he's coming back for everyone. And it's very interesting, and I'll close on this one. In the book of Zechariah, it says when God opens up a floodgate, a fountain for the house of David, it says that they shall look at me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for an only son. When Jesus comes back on the clouds, every Jewish person is going to see the, the nail mark and know instantly, not just Jews, a lot of people will know instantly that's him. And that will be, to me, the day of the Lord when he will, if you don't accept him then, then that's it because he's coming to pretty much wipe out um, if you've taken the mark of the beast and then you know what happens? Then he ushers in a time for him forever. So I want to close. If you're here this evening and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, every time you take communion, this table's for you. You're celebrating the Passover. If you're here this evening and you're not quite sure who Jesus is, I hope you got a better picture of him tonight. How perfect the plan of God is. He died for your sins. He died as the firstborn to give you hope for a resurrection. And he died so that you could come in and understand how to be part of his kingdom. Say hallelujah tonight. Come and talk. No, if, <laughs> if you're not a believer in Jesus, say hallelujah tonight and talk to one of us, talk to Pastor Roman, talk to anybody if you're not sure because we want you to be very sure. I want to know too that if you're walking with the Lord that I hope tonight will make that walk even better, that you'll understand even more so that you not only can go and tell Jewish people about Jesus, I want you to tell everybody. Amen?